this episode with we're what are we talking about no um, we're recording now oh. you you don't what do you mean you don't have anything to fill like any of the content with because we're we're scheduled to release like an episode on a topic you know that right mm. mm-hmm. this can't be a repeat of last week uh, where we literally did not have a topic see that's that's the thing i i spent all my time preparing for our b-side podcast that i completely forgot about <laughs> the main one yeah yeah oh, well i've got what's a b-side one called that's called b positive mm-hmm. i've got i've got an a-side topic for you oh yeah it's zolo maxilla back by demand they demanded to be back by someone yeah, no it was them by populist demand yes exactly Zolo Maxiloft is back. Uh, they are once again our number one sponsor. Yeah, it's been a while since we've received any sponsorship checks from them, yeah. but I'm I'm happy to hear that they're back on board. Yeah, they let me know. They, I'm always excited to have them on the show. They actually let me know what was happening with them. It was that they were all... Uh, they tried the new Zolo Maxiloft because I don't know if you remember there was a recall of some of the Zolo Maxiloft a couple of months ago so they tried the new one and um it just took them a little while to get out of the coma yeah no i mean of course yeah. that's standard you pay you you get what you pay for with the you, you really do and a bit more <laughs> yeah thank you so much solo Maxiloft, for not sending one of your corporate death squads after us yet uh we really appreciate that and thank you for allowing us to continue doing this podcast yep 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 uh, that brings us to the end of the Zolo Maxiloft Appreciation Hour. Which is the podcast that we do each and every single week, every time. That's what we yes, do. Yes, we always talk about the time that Zolo Maxiloft came back this week. <laughs> 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 Welcome, then, to our B-side production, B-Positive. The Positive B-Movie Podcast. Positive B-Movie Podcast. Perfectly in sync. That was actually quite good. I hope it actually does come out in sync um, in the edit. I highly doubt it because I have full creative control. So, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> my name is, as usual, Louis. Well, hello, as usual, Louis. I am just Fraser, just the guy. Just Fred. <laughs> well, hello, just Fraser. Um, I have a very, very special surprise for you for today's episode. You have a surprise for me, or do you have a surprise for the listeners? Uh, well, hopefully you and the listener will be equally surprised. Okay, what's the surprise? I can't take it. <laughs> the suspense. <laughs> I've got you a little Christmas gift from an old man in a little store. Oh no. She's called a Mordwai. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Maud, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. This is really cool. I'm inside of the podcast I always listen to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, we're joined today by Maud Sandem, multi-talented writer, director, actress, clown. Um, Question mark. What other... You could drive quite well. Yes, walking also. Good walker. walker. Very good. Great walker. Yes. Um, and she's joining us today to discuss... 
the first film in our Christmas series. Woo! The one and only Gremlins. It's the Christmas Gremlins. <laughs> I want to do my my best gremlin, um, like not gremlin. Well, before they're gremlins, they are uh, mogwai. mogwais. And I want to do my best impression of a mogwai singing. Okay. This little cute singing they yes. do. Okay. Now I feel very nervous about it. Mm, okay. Mm. I want to let mogwais down everywhere. How does it go again? Uh, I I don't have enough phlegm. Okay. <laughs> That was fantastic. So uh, it sounded. Thank you so much. It, I'll, I'm going to work yeah, on it. Yeah, it sounded like there was a Mogwai with me right now, which. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed I it. I guess there might be. I do live in China. There might be. <gasps> Check the equ electronic <laughs> equipment. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just get started right away. Uh, Gremlins is a 1980-something... Four. 84. 1984, 1984 film by Steven Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, executively produced by... Did, did you just say Steven Spielberg? Yes. <laughs> is that not his name? I, I don't know if you've ever heard of, of Steven Spielberg before, because usually we don't do movies that he produces. No, I thought, oh, that's right. I thought he was super obscure director. Why... Why else would no, he be? No, no, no. He's actually quite a big deal. Oh. Yeah. Oh, anything that I would have seen? Jaws no, I can't think. Jaws. Have you seen Jaws? Jaws of Satan. Oh, no, I can see where you're getting confused. No. Um, have you seen E.T.? E.T.? What is that? That's not even, those aren't even words. Those are just letters. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, not really worth it. Yeah. It's cool if you like aliens, that kind of thing. It's, it's it's fine. He's he's an up and coming kind of guy. Oh, right, right, right. You'll right, be hearing right. about him. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, no, like people have been telling me that technically Gremlins is an A film. Yeah, it really isn't actually a B movie. Well, that is something that I'm confused by. Because as I was watching this, I was like, what are the rules, guys? <laughs> What what is the actual <laughs> definition? Because it was bad, yes, but not bad, yes, but quite expensive looking, mm. but not. Yeah, no. But is it just because it's old or because it's bad? I mean, yeah, that's something we can we can talk about as well. This is, I mean, this is definitely a mainstream cinema movie. Mm -hmm. But Joe Dante, the director, I think, took a lot of inspiration from fifties B films. Oh yeah, um, okay. and like. 50s sci-fi and horror stuff. I'm not actually sure why, how we swung it to to choose this movie, but oh, I think it's yeah, that's the thing. It's I think a it's a cult classic, classic yes. and it's fun and it's Christmassy. So Christmassy, I and that's I great. I feel like anything with cult status is technically a B movie. And then also, uh, Roger mm. Ebert did label this as a B film after giving it a perfect score. Ooh. Yeah. That's confusing, yeah. Roger. And it's uh, like literally, this was actually Roger Ebert who wrote it because I recently found out that Roger Ebert is now a ghost. Oh, you didn't? You didn't know? No? I didn't know who he was. I don't know, guys. I just do. I just do <laughs> film reviews. I don't, I don't pay attention to who came before, who comes after. It was uh, only a couple of years ago, though, that he, yeah, he went I mean, over to the other side. Like five years. Yeah, five or six years. Like yeah, but I mean, five or six years, that's like a month in Fraser time? Dog time. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. so, sorry, yes. Gremlins is a film produced by Steven Spielberg, directed by Joe Dante, 
written by Chris Columbus what? of the first two Harry Potter movies. What? Fame. Oh, I thought Chris Columbus what? was the yeah. guy yeah. who invaded North America. No, no, no. That was Christopher Columbus, uh, his great, 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 great grandfather. I'm sure. Surely. So will you hit us with a quick synopsis so we know what we're talking about? Because I assume none of the listeners have seen this film. Probably no one's seen this very obscure Really? (laughs) I'm just saying this was like a classic, classic, at least Sandom family movie. I don't think anyone forced us to watch it, but it was definitely a movie we watched around Christmas time. Maybe it was just because we only had three television channels, but we de- it was definitely a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, and Related I mean, to Furbies somehow, no? No. Not other people? I don't think so. No? I always thought um, so. No, I think we were being sarcastic. Yes. Oh, good, okay. Yeah. I'm on it. Yeah. I got All you. Right. I'm we on do, the same wavelength. Yeah. We do some of that. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> I'm fine. Um, I, was, I was not prepared to do the plot synopsis, but here we go. So, a man called Rand buys a strange little creature from an old Chinese man in a what he calls a junk shop. Yeah. He's very excited to give this little creature to his son as a Christmas gift, which he does. Yeah. Early. He's given three rules for taking care of the mogwai. That is, don't get it wet, don't feed it after midnight, and bright light annoys it, sunlight will kill it. Yeah. So keep it in the so dark. exactly the same as a vampire. Yeah. Hmm. Although... Vampires can get wet, right? And they don't they like almost exclusively eat after midnight? I don't know. I just assume they have like an early dinner and then they just like read Uh, books or something. I don't know what you do at night if you live forever. I just assume it's books. I think you just hit the town, you know? Mm. So anyway, of course, all three... (laughs) All three rules are almost immediately broken. Chaos ensues. Yeah. Billy's friend Pete gets some water on our favorite gremlin, Ga- Gidget? Gizmo. Gizmo. Oopsie. Uh-oh. Gizmo. Uh, and he spawns a bunch of baby gremlins, which Billy then later feeds after midnight, or they trick him into feeding them after midnight. They turn into gremlins. They go on an insane rampage across town. The leader of the gremlins, Stripe, also manages to get himself wet and spawn, I suppose, dozens and dozens of other gremlins. They tear the whole town apart. They're eventually sucked in by Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the classic Disney film. Our hero, Billy, and his good, good friend... Uh, I don't know her oh, name, Kate. but I, her, the actress's name I know. Yes. Kate. Yeah, her surname, the actress's surname is also Kate. Canty? Isn't it Phoebe, hmm. Phoebe Cates? <laughs> I don't know. Please continue. <laughs> I thought it was Phoebe, Phoebe Canty. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Did we watch the same Oh, this is, uh, oh boy. Fix it in post, Fraser. Fix it in I post. I will try. They blow up the movie theater, but Stripe has escaped. And we have one last final showdown between Billy and Gizmo and Stripe in the big department store. Gizmo saves the day by opening a skylight and exposing Stripe to sunlight. Afterwards, the old Chinese man tracks him down and takes Gizmo back, saying that they are not yet responsible enough 
for Mogwai. Yeah. That was great. Right, Thank you. right before we start with anything else, I asked a Chinese friend of mine, what does Mogwai mean? Because obviously they got it, this animal from a Chinese person in the film, so I asked a Chinese person in real life. And uh, at first she laughed at me because my pronunciation was off. And there are two meanings. One, in the province where I am, a Mogwai is known as... Uh, well, translates to little shit. <laughs> and uh, Mogwai uh, translates to monster. So Gizmo is just a little monster oh. or a little shit. Cute. Yeah, that actually fits perfectly with mm. the Mogwai personality because they're, they're really adorable, but they also seem like a real handful. They're a bit much. Yeah. A bit much. Yeah, yeah. Not ideal pets. Really not. And the dad's whole big idea is that he's going to make this the new pet of America. Yes. Uh, He's going to obsolete the dog as a pet and install the mogwai. Which, like most of his schemes, doesn't seem like a very solid business plan. Since you can just dip your mogwai in some water and have like a hundred more. So he doesn't really have any way to control... uh, Distribution, yeah. They pretty much self-distribute. I mean, that dad doesn't really have a whole bunch of great ideas in general in in the film. He's this inventor, right? And he just continuously makes really interesting, but ultimately stupid stuff. What are some of the things that he makes? Bathroom Buddy, which is like an all-in-one like a travel kit that has a razor, toothbrush, toothpaste inside of it, shaving cream, mirror, everything that you would need. Except it always malfunctions in some way and like squirts stuff on people when it's not supposed to yeah or like a kitchen things that they have they're supposed to crack eggs or make coffee or Uh, make orange juice like explodes inevitably it's quite funny it's like really fun acting that happens when the boy billy or the mom (laughs) have to use these things and they like go up to it with like such apprehension and then because they love the dad so much they like just use it anyway cracker and then it just breaks everything yeah And I think of all those things, the bathroom buddy is is maybe the dumbest. Um, Because I can see a use for a juicer, Mm -mm. a coffee machine, but a Swiss army knife of like toothbrush, razor, that kind of thing. I just don't see how you're going to get even if it does work the way it's supposed to, Mm. how that's going to be like a pleasant experience. It's kind of like a it feels like it's the exact kind of tool for a traveling salesman it's like a meta yeah (laughs) that it's meant for a salesman on the go but then only for him not for people who actually could stand still for a moment and do stuff yeah it's the size of a brick and the razor pops out but doesn't like (laughs) fold out all the way so it's not like you could actually use it you would kind of have to wedge your face Mm -hmm. into the bathroom buddy and then you're kind of stuck in a Saw movie trying to get your face out of the bathroom buddy. But in that way, the bathroom buddy itself is a metaphor for the character of dads, just his whole career as an inventor. Definitely. However, I will say I do props to that dad for like really sticking to a very difficult and creative career yes. where things often don't work out and you don't make money. Well, sort of like being a theater I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> clearly he is doing well because he just strolls into Chinatown and drops $200 on an animal he's never seen or heard yeah, of before. Yeah, so what's that? So he does have money and it, does, it yeah. doesn't seem like 
What does the mother do? Because I'm feeling like the mother is maybe the breadwinner in this household. We only ever see her in the house. Yeah, I legitimately think the mother's job is to test the inventions. Because as we find out later, uh, that mom is probably the toughest person in town and is yes. goes from zero to murdering a bunch of gremlins in her kitchen like in no time. Yeah, she's a real badass. It's a shame we didn't get to see more of her. Yeah, like, she did not have a lot of dialogue and she never really left the house. Yeah, that's weird because I don't know how they afford that big a house on Crappy like what is like how much is Rand actually making a month? It, it seems suspect. Yeah, it does. It's a dream. It's a dream. It's an American dream. <laughs> He's they're living the American dream. That's what it is. Especially looking at it from the perspective of 2018, where if you're a mid-level executive person, you can like maybe afford to live in someone's linen closet a <laughs> hundred miles away from your work. Yeah. So, so looking back, I think it seems extra ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's probably the the most unlikely part of the whole film is their economic status. Yeah. <laughs> and also that then everybody else in the film is constantly under this uh, part of the sort of B plot is this this kind of Grinch figure of what's her name? Oh, Mrs. Deagle. Ooh. Mrs. Deagle, who it seems like she enacts a lot of the evil, mean, baddie stuff, but it's really her husband who's the guy, the bank manager, or somehow mm. involved with people's rent and like their living situations and for some reason this family with inventor dad is just a, like not under any stress to yeah. sort their stuff out yeah i mean i think but everybody are, else is. they're under pressure kind of but they seem to be doing okay billy works at the bank as a teller lucrative so uh, they're somehow they're making ends meet maybe a final word on rand peltzer mr dad in an article by uh, charlotte miller she points out how technology, however useless or misguided, is supremely important. And I think that ties back into some of the thematic elements about how Western culture consumes and what it prioritizes. I mean, especially now, uh, after more footage of yet another Black Friday has come out, and also how Black Friday itself has, as a capitalist ph phenomena, has now started spilling over into other countries where I recently saw some yeah. footage from South Africa where you see South Africans just storming a store where they were probably getting like 2% mm. discount on some stuff because I know specials in South Africa are not all that great, usually. It's not like in the States where you get 75% off a TV and, you know, you were willing to fight an old woman for that. <laughs> and I think, well, on, on the topic of Black Friday, it also speaks to kind of the economic desperation that people are in because a lot of Black Friday buying is not necessarily like luxury items, yeah. but like groceries, yeah. like people want know. toilet paper, food. Um, you know, and there's there's this chance to just maybe save a little bit, and that's kind of exploited. Yeah. Oh, capitalism. Oh, uh, we'll we'll be talking more about capitalism in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Did we want to talk about Miss Deagle? Yes, I want to talk about Miss Deagle. Yeah, maybe more on Miss Deagle and. Katie. So Miss Deagle is kind of our Christmas Grinch in this film. And she's really played up as the villain until the gremlins arrive. Like she is played up mm -hmm. as like a classic, yeah. a Christmas Carol Scrooge until the gremlins arrive. Yeah. And she's just a cat lady. Yeah. I, 
I found that quite interesting how she's so awful to everyone in the town, but really very, very sweet with her yeah, cats. Yeah, very loving. I think that gives her a little bit of humanity before she's launched with her stair lift through the window. And I mean, let's face it, probably dies. Yeah, she's not moving. Oh, I just, uh, she does get her comeuppance in a way, not just being yeah. attacked by the gremlins, but then the very useless police force come driving past and they see her there and they just <laughs> roll on by. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, is that. Which Mrs. is like, Deagle? yeah, if you're going to be mean to people, <laughs> keep driving. <laughs> just to put into perspective a little bit, what happens is that Mr. Deagle runs into a woman on the street in like the initial sequence of events where we see Billy going to work at the bank. Mrs. Deagle runs into this woman. She's asking for an extension on some vague loan that she has and also this mystery mm. husband. And Miss Deagle says to her, the bank and I have the same purpose in life to make money. Yeah, and it doesn't get her very far in the end. She's in her giant empty house full of cats, and then she gets chucked out the window. By gremlins. So she doesn't have a husband? She must have a husband, but we never meet the bank manager. Because she asks, that lady in the beginning asks Mrs. Deagle to plead with her husband about for them on their behalf, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know. We never see her husband, and um, she does seem to be living alone. Mm. The husband's at work. The husband's always Maybe she's really wealthy, and she has her own house. Yeah. <laughs> With her own cat. Yeah, Judge John Hodgman always says the best living arrangement is two villas separated by a reflecting pool. Oh, wow. Which I can get really can get behind. Okay. I like that idea. What's a reflecting pool? It's just like a really shallow pool, um, so it's not like to swim no, in or sorry. anything. It's just a it's nice little looking. water feature. Yeah. Okay. For staring into. Exactly. So it's kind of dramatically. Exactly. So it's kind of just a, a money dump. Yeah. Um, that's that is quite strange. How about Katie, Billy's love interest, and also another pretty badass woman in this film? So Katie is very interesting to me because she's actually working two jobs. We see her working as a teller, the same job that Billy has, and then also she is doing like bar work at what's the place's name dory's yeah dory's at pub. dory's tavern. Pub. tavern and she is extremely dedicated to that job because even when the gremlins eventually invade the pub she's still serving drinks <laughs> she's still lighting cigarettes i i could not believe that yeah she's still there just she's trying like, to do her job <laughs> it's like pouring them drafts lighting their cigarettes and she just kept on doing it i could not understand what the, which kind of side note? Is this time for a side note? We can do a side People's note. reactions to both the gremlins and the, not Furbies, the <laughs> Mogwais, <laughs> is really bizarre. Every person who encounters them, from Rand in the actual uh, shop where he gets mm -hmm. the gizmo, the first Mogwai, and then every subsequent person that is introduced to this thing is like really relaxed about it. Yeah. No one freaks out. No one is like, what is this hybrid demon creature? Yeah. No one is upset. Yeah, everyone's just like, oh, that's really cool. Where'd you get it? Yeah. Or not Can even where'd you get yeah. it, but like, yeah, oh, that's cool. And when it multiplies by having babies pop out of its back. 
when you put water on it, no one is like, um, devil magic? Is everything okay Is here? that even scientific? No one, no one possible? is like, we've never seen this. Yeah. No one, no one freaks out. No one asks questions. Yeah, the dad immediately sees it as a money-making scheme. Pete is so bored. He just goes back to looking at like a magic magazine. eye pictures in a magazine. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, it's pretty neat. There's honestly less of a reaction. Like, is it a kind of a hamster? Is it a... <laughs> There's less of a reaction to the mogwai Nothing. than there would be to, like, a puppy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even less excited than people are about puppies, yeah, I yeah. feel. Or not less excited, but less, like, amazing mm-hmm. what kind of, you know, usually people ask, what kind of puppy is it? Yeah. They're just like, oh, this thing I've never seen before. Cool. That can kind of speak <laughs> yeah. and, and sings, sings and, and multiplies beats. from, like, warts on its back. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I was like, the, the people in this town, I don't know about you guys. Yeah. Something is wrong. Something Maybe you deserve what's coming. Just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, so Katie working two jobs, but she's not even getting paid to work at Dory's. Oh? Which we hear when... Uh, a petition side hustle. I think she's just like working for tips, maybe. Oh. Yeah, she's helping out because um, in the bank scene, she asks Billy to sign a petition to save Dory's. And he says, oh yeah, of course I will sign. It's where my parents met. And then she implies it's kind oh. of a, a town favorite kind of place. It's a one of a kind. And it carries a lot of history because she says everybody's parents have met at Dory's yeah. Yeah. Or, or got married or got engaged there or whatever it might be. So got maybe, married at Dory's. Yeah. Oh, that <laughs> well, that there's this kind of comparison, I guess, that's brought up between New World Order's Deagle, like shutting yeah. stuff down and wanting to move forward and the bank and that kind of harsh reality. Yeah. And then the like nostalgia and memory. Yeah, and like doing stuff not just for the money. Just doing stuff because you feel like helping out. Yeah. Yeah. She's also, yeah, she's set up in clear contrast to Judge Reinhold's character. My name is Judge, by the way. Right. I don't know if y'all ever saw Arrested Development. I did. I don't know what that is. Yeah, they have a show, Mock Trial with Judge Reinhold. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's just because his name is literally Judge. <laughs> so Judge Reinhold plays Billy and Katie's immediate superior at the bank. And he comes into the bar. He's like, what the hell? You're not even working for money. What is wrong with you? And he talks to Billy and he's like, you know, if you, if I were the boss, I definitely would have fired you for bringing your dog to work. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in three years, I'm definitely going to be the top guy. After that, I'm taking, I'm going big. And he's like this classic 80s, almost like American psychopath type character who's just there for the business and the cocaine. The ladies. And the ladies. He doesn't even seem all that interested in the ladies. He just seems interested in the million dollars. Gonna be a millionaire by 30. Yeah. He does ask Katie out, but she shuts him down right quick. Sweet burn. Yeah. His character was actually a bit bigger, but they cut some of his scenes. So I think that's... Ouch. That's pretty much the only scene we have with him, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I don't think the gremlins even come for him. Yeah, no. I don't see that. Damn, they really should have. Yeah. He's on top of my list. Yeah, yeah. Um, Um, So he's definitely this contrast with Billy and Katie. Yeah. Sorry. Back to uh, just the general character of Katie and the, the whole setup in the bar when the gremlins are there. I feel like what the director wanted us to read into that situation 
situation is that Katie is trapped there and is now forced to serve drinks to the gremlins for fear of her life. Yeah. But they have somehow communicated this complex threat to her that she needs to serve them as if they were a gang of bikers who have taken over the town <laughs> and she is now their prisoner. I mean, it, it didn't feel much different <laughs> to like a, a night at a bar here in South Africa, like the rat yeah. and parrot or the yeah, Hell's yeah. Kitchen or something. <laughs> it's like hungry, drunk, demanding customers. Yeah, she, like she's, she's like super used to it already. She's She knows the drill. Yeah. It's possible that she didn't even notice that they were gremlins. She just thought, oh, the regulars. <laughs> <laughs> For instance, one of her regulars is Mr. Plowman. Yeah, <laughs> That's not Mr. his name. Mr. Futterman. Futterman, there yes. And he looks kind of gremlin He does. Uh, Shame. No, from, Life's been hard for that yeah, guy. Yeah, I mean, it's been a tough life and it's years mm. and years of hard, hard, hard drinking. Yeah. Hard um, drinking, hard physical laboring outside in the cold. He also mentions that he was in the war. Yeah. WWII. Yeah. Is that what he says? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what he says. Um, the big one. Which I've never heard anyone say it like that. Yeah. <laughs> and he's actually the one who introduces the idea of gremlins or at mm. least the word gremlins, into the film. Yeah. Of course, from the old war mythology of little animals working to sabotage electronics and mechanical things. Yeah. And that is truly what these gremlins are, because they do seem to have some form of innate ability to man manipulate electronics and to, in a yeah. way, modify things to the extent where they could be inventions by... What's the dad's name? Rand. Rand. I mean, they somehow hack into Miss Deagle's chairlift to make it into, like, mm -hmm. a catapult, which I don't think it's supposed to be able to do that. No, definitely not. They really like to use their power to change things to suit what they needed to do. Yeah, yeah, which is usually some sort of mischievous yeah. uh, or violent end. Yeah, even in the sequence where they're in the movie theater, they're getting Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs to play by wrecking the projector like they the whole thing just spins out and the reel stops you see the film literally stop running and then it comes on and they're watching Snow White somehow they're so cute the gremlins yeah, I know they're gross but I find them so cute when they're all in the th they're, okay so just imagine this there's this theater filled with these <laughs> disgusting tiny little Monster dudes, like I have mentioned Furbies before, they're like scaly Furbies with evil little faces. And they're all eating little things of popcorn. Yeah. And they're all watching Snow White and Seven. And then they all sing along like, hi-ho, hi-ho. And they all like, <laughs> exactly. And they move and they like synchronize dance. And they're having a really good time. They, you know what? We can't, we can't fault them for that. They're living the it's American so dream. <laughs> they really are. Hey. I think that that actually kind of gets to the crux of this film. And it occurred to me that the more they transform, so they go from being mogwai, which are kind of weird and a little Innocuous. bit foreign. Yeah, and cute, but a little bit funny. And then they become gremlins, which are obviously these 
really out there bizarre critters but the the further on they go through the night the more human characteristics they acquire yeah. they're constantly consuming food and things and they have to try everything they eat glass they eat stuff they eat candy they break yeah. things wherever they go they like get clothes they start like personalizing themselves mm. yeah. they even start killing each other at some point there's a little scene in the bar where oh, they're yeah. playing poker <laughs> it's also <laughs> so cute they play <laughs> poker and then something goes wrong in the poker game and one gremlin I think it's Stripe I think it is Stripe Stripe has a tiny pistol and shoots his buddy in the poker game he just straight up murderizes him so yeah exactly like that they kind of acquire these weird human cultural characteristics yeah Yeah, (laughs) they assume so that the poker scene that's like a western yeah yeah Mm. yeah there's the yeah the shootout during the poker game is kind of a western thing there's also a I guess female uh, gremlin up until that point then it's all of a sudden yeah as she puts on the like like leg warmers Mm. and uh, leotard and does what like flash dance <laughs> I guess is the reference like I thought it was a Jane Fonda jazzercise yeah. kind of moment it is it's funny how they they kind of become archetypes and it's like they become prohibition era archetypes you've got like yeah. you've got the crusty jazz man in the corner he's sitting with his hat and he's smoking and he's like nah nah nah, nah. drinking whiskey and like you've you've got he's sorry he goes like how no, 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 no. What's that? No, 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 I don't know how jazz works. I assume that's jazz. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Like, they, I mean, some of them take on the persona of surgeons. Some of them, like, classic 1950s gangsters. Mm. They are, like you said, they're consuming everything, but then they're also consuming the media around them and somehow internalizing these archetypical characters and then you know portraying that yeah it's kind of like the gremlins are at their core searching for identity wow that's like really clever that's so deep wow i can't tell if you're sarcastic right now (laughs) no i'm not i'm like never would have noticed that's very clever you guys are very smart thank you (laughs) 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 don't be so embarrassed it's real I mean, thank you. That's so sweet. I'm, not, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm terrible at taking compliments because whenever someone compliments me on something, I always assume they're being sarcastic. And I'm always like, yeah, you too, buddy. I mean, I'm with me, I usually am. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's, it's like, it's almost as if the more human they become, the more rowdy and violent and out of control they also become. Yeah. They really, you know, they take a lot of sadistic glee in uh, the harm that they inflict on the on the townspeople and just on the town itself the actual Mm. buildings yeah but if we if we look at the gremlins pre-internalizing these archetypes they are more mischievous and not directly uh, malevolent you know they they're like messing stuff they're silly they're eating Mm. things they're doing these things but the more human they become and the more they become these representations of what we have in our popular media because you know people you see in an action film are not real people no one is actually like that what yeah right john mcclain is not a real person i thought he was santa claus i love jumping off things and getting blown up yeah yeah but what you're like a strong independent female thank you so much there you go i wanted to say 
It's interesting because the Mogwai do, before they turn, they do consume things, but it, it's kind of in a, yeah. in a like a curious. So he has it's, the interaction it's almost like with childlike. Yeah, yeah he plays the keyboard, and then the Mogwai sings the like tonal things that he's doing there, and they have an exchange about it. And it, at some point, he, the Mogwai is reading Gizmo, is reading a book, or looking at the magic mm. things through the little uh, blue and red yeah, 3D glasses. glasses. And they have these exchanges about the things they are consuming. Or, yeah, I mean, like reading or listening to or watching television. There's always some exchange about it. And there's a kind of sweet childlike curiosity also. Yeah. And and something really sweet between Billy and Gizmo that there's this interaction of, mm. did you like this? What did you think? It's like a bonding thing. Whereas when they turn, it's like they can't be satisfied. Yeah. So continuously just chowing everything, like literally eating it or watching it or ripping yeah. it apart to get to something else, moving through things constantly. Yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, when they watch Snow White, that's the first time that they actually Chill a bit. stay and do something for a bit, other than smoking and drinking. Yeah. Mm. They're very good at that. Yeah. It's it's kind of like when they're watching Snow White temporarily revert back to their past Mogwai selves, yeah. where they're now innocently enjoying something. Yeah, it's kind of like the whatever they're consuming at the moment can influence them in that way. And it's lucky that the theater is playing Snow White on repeat because earlier in the day, when Billy first passes the theater, it's not playing Snow White. <gasps> can I tell you something interesting about those fun facts with Maud? Putting it in your segment. <laughs> You'll see that it says two titles there. I think the first one is A Boy's Life and the second one is, damn, it's something else. I forgot now. Mm. And those two were the original titles of E.T. was A Boy's Life by Steven Spielberg. Okay, yes. And the other <laughs> one is also a reference to a Steven Spielberg film. And I it's, think it's the original title of that film. Oh. Wasn't it uh, the original title of Close Encounters? I'm not sure. Fun facts with Maud. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite new segment. <laughs> It would be better if I remembered it. I quickly want to discuss Katie's tragic Christmas backstory. Yes. yes. Because at one point she does oh, say guys. to Billy, she doesn't celebrate Christmas. And Billy takes that as immediately meaning that she must be like some other religion, some non-Midwestern religion, you know, like a Hindu. He immediately <laughs> goes for Hindu. It's like, whoa, okay, we're, we're doing this now. Yeah. Great. But no, the reason why she does not like Christmas is actually a reference to dark humor. And kind of her story is... It reads like the punchline to a terrible joke where her dad really wanted to give her a good Christmas. So he dressed up as Santa, slung a bag full of presents over his shoulder and was climbing down their chimney, slipped, fell and broke his neck. And he was stuck in there. But like Kate and her mom didn't know where the dad was. He was missing. So it gets to be winter. I mean, that yeah, they thought. Uh, he'd like abandoned them yeah he, he just went out for a pack of smoke so it gets cold as it does in winter and Katie goes to turn on the fireplace uh. summon some plasma and uh. you know the whole thing backs, backfires the chimney is stuffed obviously so the firemen come up break open the chimney and they find her dad and that's why she doesn't like Christmas in his Santa, in suit. Santa yeah. suit and she she ends the monologue by saying and that's how I learned that Santa wasn't real. Yeah, but that's not what that's what I mean. It, like it it's this tragic story and she plays it off with a punchline. Like that's not how people tell that story. Yeah. Apparently fun facts with Maud. 
Apparently they wanted to. <laughs> I'm making it catch on, guys. Yeah. Um, apparently they wanted to cut that monologue. The the producers or the mm. studio didn't want to actually put that monologue in there because it's this weird, bittersweet in between, like dark humor and really yeah, painfully like, tragic story that she's telling. Yeah. Um, and they couldn't figure out if it was like sarcastic or funny or, and it was quite uncomfortable. But as far as I know, the director was like, no, yeah. it's staying in. Yeah. 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 Joe Dante insisted that it, it stay in. It's good that it did. It's yeah. It's given, it gave some real meat to the story in mm. a way. And it, it captures a lot of what the film as a whole does mm. with like a lot of like, violence and dark themes but executed in kind of a campy funny way mm. yeah beautifully said also while she's doing the monologue <laughs> this really sad version of silent night is playing oh, wow. in the background i don't know if you guys picked <gasps> up on that in the soundtrack that's a little bit on the nose um, <laughs> is it a throwback to when they're walking early and the carolers are singing silent night Oh, it might be. It might be. Because the previous time they walk home and he asks her about it, there's some carolers that are singing a uh, really mangled version of Silent Night. But yeah, and then yeah, they, yeah. it comes back again. Yeah, and she tells him the whole, the whole truth. Yeah, and Billy is not listening while he does. Damn. While she does tell him this, he's like half paying attention to her, but he's checking phones and just like rummaging through the space they're in. And she's telling him like really pouring out her heart, and he's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, what's the phone doing it's very it's very weird but we were listening we were listening katie uh, but in that way, like Kate is probably the character in the movie with the most depth and the only one with any real yeah. backstory. Well spotted. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Well, her and okay. And, and I would argue Mr. Plunderman. Flunderman? Fudderman. Yeah, yes. okay. We do know a bit about Fudderman. I mean, more than about the main characters, about the dad, the mom, mm. the bully. <laughs> yeah. Katie and I feel Mr. Futterman are the most rounded out characters because yeah. he has that monologue and, and that other moment where he, he's like the war and the money and, you know. Yeah. And Futterman is guy. also kind of a, a very tragic character. Yeah. Total like what's it called? The desolation, the, the falling apart, the crumbling of the American dream. Yeah, definitely. And patriotism, all that stuff. Capitalism came for you. Yeah. There's. <laughs> oh, me? Oh, no. <laughs> Billy's family are kind of the concept of the everyman. It's more of a mirror that you are supposed to see yourself and your American nuclear family mm -hmm. or almost nuclear family. You're supposed to ref mm. reflect onto them. That's why they don't actually have much backstory. They're relatable in that they are supposed to be you. Yeah. I mean, I well, I agree. However, I think it wasn't that successful because the dad is quite a character. Um, so, I mean, interest, cool, cool, I see you could do that there. And then the mom, maybe also, she's the like housewife-ish kind of character and then she like flips it and she's the badass, yep. which moms often are. But then Billy, he really is a mirror. He's just so blank. I don't really know what his opinion about anything yeah. is. Until, and the only time we really see him get a bit feisty and, you know, get all hot under the collar is not when gremlins pop out of weird eggs in his attic room, but as like it's too far down the road already in terms of gremlins taking stuff, <laughs> taking over the town. Yeah. 
that he has a bit of a freak out at the police station with the drunk policeman. Yeah. That's when he gets all worked yeah. up for the first time this entire movie and he's a little bit dealing with literal alien creatures. Yes. <laughs> Is that the first time he's like, no, listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly what he sounds like too. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just want to say Billy was a bit weak sauce. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I wanted to mention another little moment of mixing Christmas with the with the profane that maybe speaks to Katie's monologue vaguely. But for the entire first bit of the film, it's straight up like it's a wonderful life Christmas movie. You know, like a family film. It's going to be a sweet little Christmas tale. And then when Pete, Billy's young friend, who's surprisingly young, very young, Corey Feldman, he's like twelve-ish. Also, in the beginning, when the dad buys a yeah, present for his kid, I was like, oh, his kid's going to be twelve. Yeah. And then yeah. he comes home, and he's got like an eighteen-year-old with a beard. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then Billy is friends with Pete, who's played by Corey Feldman. Yes. And he's a there's a significant age difference. He's like a legit child. Yeah. He's an um, actual child. But he comes into the house. He's He works at the Christmas tree yard so place. Mm-hmm. And he comes mm-hmm. into the house with the Christmas tree. And it's just like, ah, Christ. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> <"Whoa."> <laughs> and that's, that's the first moment, I think, where the film is telling you, like, okay, this isn't what you expect from a, a family Christmas film. No. I, I kind of liked Corey as Pete. Yeah, um, me too. Kind of a, a, a spicy young lad. <laughs> I just needed Billy to have a personality. Then it would have been great. Yeah. Um, usually, uh, I like my, my protagonists with a bit of personality. If you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> okay, there's one big thing I want to talk about. I feel like it is the yes. Mogwai in the room is... <laughs> the orientalism in this movie. <gasps> yes. Thank you. My first note, and wow. Maud will, will vouch for this. Is this racist? Yes. Question I'm mark. going to say yes. <laughs> okay. It definitely is because the portrayal of the old Chinese granddad, he's really the mystical, non-white character with these, this magical wisdom. Yeah. He knows things and, oh, you are not ready for this animal that, you know, like somehow I am ready for by virtue of not being Caucasian. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, even in the 80s, that distinction between the West and the rest had disappeared in a like, I mean, as a, a geographic distinction, like most of the world at that point had been fully co-opted yeah. by capital, by consumer culture. And far more accessible with planes and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. So he definitely feels like a character out of time. He's a throwback character. Yeah. There's a... Sorry, there's something interesting. I feel like I keep interrupting. No, I, I just sometimes say... Um, there's another no, thing. that I say something. <laughs> <laughs> we did it again. There's a... It's interesting that there's quite a lot of... This is why I was also asking about, is it a B-movie? Because the budget seems quite high, and it's studio, and it's like... You can see a lot of production value. I mean... Steven Spielberg. Yeah. But, um, so the, the, the shop that this gentleman is in, this kind of... It says Chinatown, but then it's like ambiguously Asian stuff happening in the shop. Yeah. Yeah. There's no distinguishable, like, writing or anything that you can figure that out from. The shop that he's in is also just filled with, like, classic what I think white people think of when they think <laughs> of yeah. the Orient. Yeah. And they just put all kinds of just, like, we- everything. They just went, like, throw in a Buddha, let's throw in a dragon. 
Let's throw in some dried lizards. Let's throw in some just everything. So that is also uh, quite an offensive space, <laughs> just yeah. visually. I wonder if we could give the the filmmakers credit on that, that it's it's perhaps a part of old Chinese man's character that he knows, like, oh, white people will buy any old shit. But he, his shop is also hidden. Oh, that's yeah. true as well. That's also the thing. His shop isn't like, hey, come inside, everybody. The His grandson goes and fetches mm. the dad, Billy's dad, Mr. Rand, off the street yeah. and brings him to, and he actually makes a comment about the fact that the shop is so hidden. So it is also this kind of strange thing where it doesn't feel like it's a white people will buy any old shit. Mm. It's a kind of pretend sacredy place that he enters. Yeah, that's actually true. And then it's just like all of the stereotypical mishmash of things just thrown in there. And then Mr. Rand actually makes a little comment on it in terms I, I guess a comment on this thing that you're saying that you no, know, is this racist? Is this awkward? It's like a little very on the nose moment where he suggests having using the bathroom buddy and that he says, yeah, you might have some dragon breath and then looks down and there's like a Uh, figurine of some kind that's a a classically (laughs) Asian, inverted commas, dragon that he then feels very awkward about that he said that and then changes his um, his sales pitch to make it something else. And so there's a very kind of on the nose moment there where he kind of points out the fact that this is bad and misplaced and that wasn't okay. I mean, the one hint that we have as to this old man being Chinese is the fact that he is in possession of a critter with a Chinese word as a name. That's like the only way we Hmm. really know he's Chinese. But then this average person around the world doesn't speak Chinese. They don't know what the word for monster or little shit is. Not yet. Not yet, but they will now, having listened to this episode. But yeah, that's like the the one tie-in that we do have to China from that. But then also just the way that the old man is portrayed like he's got the one the one like cataracty yeah. glass eye and he's got the long mystical beard yeah he's got the robes he's got the, he's got the hat long pipe. he is very stereotypically played and portrayed and it's as soon as you see him it's implied that you are supposed to now expect this magical happening it very much becomes a sense of like fairy tale rules where instead of like yeah. some fae creature ran interacts with someone from a different country and that brings a sense of mysticism into the film but really only by a, a lens that could only be possible in the 80s not really in modern films i hope his grandson is also an interesting character as a sort of in a go between between the worlds cuz he might be second or third generation. He's quite far removed from his grandfather in terms of yeah. the way he dresses, the way he speaks. Uh, he's wearing a little baseball cap and kind of like very 80s uh, American clothing as well. Yeah, so yeah he... and he's this go-between and he actually gets the Mogwai for the gentleman and refers yeah. to his grandfather as for the being money. crazy and does it for the money. Yeah, that's actually... Yeah. So in a sense then, the grandson is also co-opted by Western culture. Yeah. Because he knows he's not supposed to be selling the Mogwai and the and the grandfather actually under no circumstances wants to let go of the Mogwai. It is the grandson who puts that into action through, I guess, like an economic desperation. Mm. Yeah. Agreed. Great point. <laughs> 
I want I want to talk about a thing that I don't know if now's the right time or when the right time is. Now is a time. Uh, I'm I'm just wondering about your to continue about your point on Orientalism. I think is that how we have we, have we done the Orientalism? I guess yeah. The grandfather also comes back at the end to give his yeah. speech about you you do with Mogwai what you do with all of nature's gifts. And this is what I want to talk about. Okay, so then it, it it flows quite naturally. Thank you so much. I'm learning so much about podcasting mm. today. Well, what I found quite special, and I'd completely forgotten that part. I guess last time I watched this film, I was an actual child. Yes. And so now you read things into it with a kind of grown-up person lens. I found it, the film, to be really very now. Yeah. A, a very, okay. very now, very that. Uh, because, no, so these things, so this kind of, I mean, at the moment... It's just been the past week, Thanksgiving, moving into the festive season. Lots of current talk uh, about ecological issues, climate change, consumerism and capitalism at the like core of these things. The destruction of rainforests and mm. of biodiversity. And the old Chinese gentleman who, who actually owns the Mogwai, and also very cute, the Mogwai, when he sees him again, calls him Papa. Aww. Very cute for me. Yeah, it's adorable. That's better than my jazz crooning. <laughs> it's a low bar. <laughs> so he he um he makes this point at the end. His kind of profound speech is that basically Westerners have kind of always just taken what they wanted and they have destroyed any gifts that Mother Nature or nature has given them. And so there's a yeah, there's there's something quite yeah, profound it's about so that. Definitely relevant. Yeah. More than ever, perhaps. And and everything that's been said throughout the film about the points that are made about people consuming things, people's relationship with money, with the environment. Yeah, kind of chopping down trees just to use for a week during a holiday and buying things and consuming constantly without any forethought or afterthought about it. Yeah. And yeah, that they we don't know the true responsibility of being humans on this earth. Yeah. You know, having been put in this position or having put ourselves into this position of being the custodians of the mm. entire world, we now realize that we, we actually have no idea what we're doing. And we're yeah. doing a terrible job with and what we do now. Yeah, we're yeah. feeding Mother Nature after midnight and she's not happy this is producing tornadoes where there previously were none exactly but it is it's funny though that like it's implied by this character of the chinese granddad that it's inherently a western issue where living in asia i know that the people here and the people i meet are just as shitty to the environment as the people in south africa or the people in europe it's like it's yeah it's kind of a universally human human thing to be a terrible custodian of the planet and to seek to dominate large sections of said planet to feel like this is rightfully mine because of reasons there are always reasons yeah yeah it's it's definitely a global thing so that's that's why i feel the the orientalist lens that they put on it is probably unnecessary it's unnecessary and a little bit offensive yeah Mm. Yeah. There's something interesting that's implied between the sort of good and evil vibes about Gizmo and Stripe, mm -hmm. or between cute fuzzy guys and scaly not cute, but also kind of cute other guys, <laughs> is that there's a, 
you you get the sense. I don't. Gizmo doesn't actually talk, or he just repeats things. But yeah. the way his cute little animatronic eyes looks at stuff makes me think I understand what he's thinking, which is that he knows that the gremlins can't help themselves. Yeah. But there's something interesting about gremlins going to do what gremlins going to do, guys. That's why there are rules. So they don't do that. But now that they're doing it, can you blame them? Which I think is an interesting... Yeah. And I think Gizmo is the only mogwai that approaches like something like maturity. Yeah. Because Billy offers him some chicken and Gizmo's just like, oh no, none for me, thanks. Yeah. And keeps reading his, his magazine. Um... <laughs> That's so cute. I thought it's because he really knew it was 12 o'clock already. Yeah, I think so. I think that's what it is. And he was like, "Uh, no, I'll I'll turn into a monster. I don't want to go down that path. But Gizmo, like Billy, is a little bit useless in terms of why doesn't Gizmo go, hey, no, I know these guys. They're mischievous. Check your clock. Yeah, check your clock. Why doesn't he go, Billy? No. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Maybe he just feels like. That's not my job. He just kind of looks at him and goes, "Eh." Maybe Gizmo is a happiness pump from... Oh, that's a rude thing to say. A happiness pump? A what now? A pump for for the happiness. Joy? You watch your mouth when you've (laughs) spoken to us. (laughs) So, it's a concept from uh, utilitarianism. And it basically is a person who is so concerned with providing happiness to other people that Gizmo is not willing to tread on the happiness of the other Mogwai by saying, listen, they they fucked with your clock, dude. Like, this is definitely going to turn them into goblins. Uh, and in the same he's way, he's a little bit like not my department. Yeah, he's also he's singing for Billy. He's trying to make Billy happy, but like there's no real connection. Essentially, Billy's dad kidnapped Gizmo, but Gizmo is just fine with that. But he is clearly happy to see the old man again. Yeah, that's true. But I do feel like concept. Gizmo and Billy have a a special connection. I mean, right? can you really have a special connection with Billy? Well, he carries him around in his backpack for the whole movie, and he's like. And he's he's like yeah, but as nice as you can have a relationship with the like son of your kidnapper. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of Stockholm <laughs> your slave master. Um, I mean, but, he he saves Billy at the end of the day in his cute little toy car, which he drives around the department store. Somehow, oh, it's so cute. Oh, it is. Oh, I can't deal. And there are like little engine noises, even though it's clearly an electric. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's a, it's a don't ruin it for us. <laughs> He obviously did some electronical things there. They love that stuff. We've discussed this yeah. already, Fraser. Fair enough, fair Don't enough. question the electronics of a car, toy Barbie car. Mm, yeah, well, I mean, as long as Gizmo's having fun. I can't I really stop thinking want one. Of, I mean, there's uh there's one quote that i want to like the last thing i want to mention is that uh, katie says during the first time she mentions not being a fan of christmas she says people get most depressed during the holidays when you're opening up your presents they're opening their wrists which is hella dark i mean this film is actually very dark and it's surprising that my parents let me watch it as a child same yeah i think you know, they, they cover up the darkness with the cute little critters. Yeah. As soon as but you it see is Gizmo. actually a, Yeah, you're like, oh, this is cute. Kids can watch this. This is probably for kids. This is a kid's movie. Yeah. I don't think it actually is. No. 
I don't know if this movie was made specifically for anyone. Yeah, I think it, it, it's interesting for me because, okay, I can't tell if the movie was slow paced for me because it's, I'm used to watching things that are go faster or if it is purposefully kind of done to, I mean, it also hinges on a lot of like reaction shots and obviously people have to like swap out some animatronics and make things happen there. But that it was often quite slow and really like left you on either people's reactions mm -hmm. or them thinking about stuff or, you know, even just a, a sort of a scene, a landscape of like total indulgence in like a store or a street or, you know, in terms of yeah, they really Christmassiness. Give, yeah. They and then give the time. slow pans. Yeah. 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 And then you feel kind of like, oh, fuck, something's wrong. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if that is just a timing thing, like movies were a little bit slower back then. Yeah. Or whether it has... I think there'd be like four or five setups before they actually got to the action. Yeah. You know, you'd see someone leave the, put on the boots, leave the house, then you'd see the street, then you'd see the door, then you'd see the door open from the outside, then from the inside, then greet the security guard, then dialogue and actual scene. Yeah. <laughs> Slow shit. Yeah, it's pretty intense. But it did, it did at least... Uh, you, my, my experience of it was that it was added to the kind of... Um, the dark feel almost. Mm. That was covered up by a lot of fake shiny stuff and fluffy alien creatures. Yeah. 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 So if you had to rate Gremlins on a scale of gizmo to stripe, what would you give it? On a scale of gizmo to stripe, I'd probably oh that's a that's a tough one. Partly because I yeah. don't actually understand how that scale works. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, also I think I would give it <laughs> <laughs> But I still have to answer. Okay. I would give it I would give it more 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 stripe than Gizmo. Okay. I mean, I also don't really understand what's going on, but I would give it a, a pre-transformation stripe. Okay. Uh, still cute stripe. Still I agree. I agree. I agree with him. Yeah. Yeah. What would you give it? I would give it a good 60% fur loss. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what these ratings mean, ah! Fraser. They don't mean anything because all movies are perfect. Oh, yeah. Every movie is a miracle. With Remember that this Christmas time. Yeah. Also, remember that we're always being positive. And that's the reason for the season is this podcast. Hey. I think we've been positive. Next time on Be Positive. We're watching Yes Gremlins 2. Oh Really? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, Gremlins 2. Yeah. Mm, it's the diehard of Gremlins. The new batch. Yeah. Is is Gremlins 2 also set during Christmas? I believe it is. Uh, and it's set in like a building. I always confuse Gremlins 2 with Die Hard. So I get my wires crossed. Mm. Gremlins, Grem Harder. Gremlins. <laughs> Mog harder. Mog harder. Um, the the I don't know where it's set. See, I thought it was a '90s movie, but it was the first one was '80s, and the yeah. second one was almost ten years later in the '90s. Yeah, 1990 exactly. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. And I think it's set in New York. It's gonna be a lot of fun. The Gremlins are the Gremlin series of films is kind of like in that nostalgic gray area of my childhood where I hadn't quite realized that sequels are generally worse than the originals. So they just mm. came as a set. You know, there was always a Gremlins 1 and 2. There was It was just an immaculately crafted story. No one had anything bad to say about the sequel. It was the equal of the original. And mm. I feel like it, Agreed. there's a lot of films from the 80s that, that kind of fulfill that role 
in my childhood. I actually watched uh, Die Hard 3 the other day. I've never watched a Die Hard. What? I've also never watched any of the things from The Matrix. What? I know. What am I doing? (laughs) (laughs) Probably more important things. Yeah, I've never watched a Die Hard, never watched... uh, Only the first Mad Max I watched was the most recent one. Oh, right. Mad Max... Max. Furry Road. Furry Road. That should be Gremlins 3. Yes. I haven't watched a lot of things. Yeah, me neither. That's what this podcast That's is fine. For, is to help me watch things. <laughs> but I've watched Gremlins 1 and 2. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, as always, you can find us on Facebook at Stay Scary. We're on the Twitter box at Stay Scary as well. Let us know what you thought about Gremlins. Is it a B film? Yes. Only answer yes. Don't embarrass me in front of well. the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, hit us up if you have any comments, questions, or concerns. We really appreciate you listening. We appreciate the ratings some of you have given us. Keep them coming. We're always there. We're always available to have a chat. Yes, and we appreciate you, Maud, for being here and helping us out on this episode. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, guys. It was really fun to be inside of the podcast I listen to while I wash the dishes. How does it feel being inside of someone's phone right now? Scary help. Yeah. Help, I'm a gremlin inside of a phone. (laughs) Somebody let me out of your pockets. (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty cool I highly recommend it I highly recommend being stuck inside someone's phone enjoy washing those dishes driving in the car enjoy the traffic breathe on that jog oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh, and then as always you stay scary don't get your spooky wet (laughs) what (laughs) I always forget that I'm supposed to come up with a new catchphrase every week so I just (laughs) just wing it I feel like you you do well under pressure, though. It always seems so organic and natural. It is organic and natural. 100%. And this is the part... Uh, see you all next time for Gremlins 2. And this uh-huh. is where we just have some light banter, and we're talking as the podcast... This... Okay, um, so, I, but I wanted to say other facts that I didn't get to say. Oh, uh, yeah? So, that whole set, Kingston Falls... Yeah? ...is also the, the studio, same Universal studio lot set of... Back to the Future. Whoa. And that's yeah. theater that they watched that st- story Snow White Jewel in. The Gremlins, they watched Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. That is also the movie movie theater that that guy, Marty, crashes the DeLorean into. Whoa. At the end of that thing. True story. What else? That's why it's so familiar. Um, um, Howie Mandel plays Gizmo. No. Yeah, he's the voice what? of Gizmo. Howie oh Mandel. God. What? There's a lot of Spielbergy references. There's the like Radio Ricky Rialto poster, and it's like a Uh, Indiana Jones Jones thing. Oh, there's another thing where there's a when the dad's at the uh, convention at the convention for the thing. What's that convention called? Like a oh the the inventors convention. Yeah, there's a time machine that yeah H.G. Wells um, time machine, and it actually does it disappears. Disappears, and then you see these people going oh. What? Where, where did it go? Where did it go? Which is great. <laughs> Spielberg also was supposed to be like at some point an extra in the thing. Not an extra. No one would make him like an a, extra. Like a cameo. Here's your 150 rand a day. No. <laughs> um, they would like no. They they he was he appears somewhere also at the convention or uh, something like in the background, but I okay. couldn't spot him. Billy also has a poster for Steven Spielberg's um, Twilight Zone movie on his wall. Oh. 
Yeah, and he's got a huh. he's got a copy of Fangoria on the floor in one of the shots, uh, which is just like every eighties oh. horror flick had a copy of Fangoria somewhere in it. Man, what a fun movie! I had a good time. I had a good time, yeah. but I want one of them. I don't want. It's too much responsibility. I'm a little, I feel like I'm the gremlin in. in yeah. I'm a cute Daniel. I'm like I have cute little brown eyes.